Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Office Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Tech People. This is your host, Ken Coring speaking. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Francois Chauvin to discuss if there's a future in retail. Francois is the CEO of Focal Systems, who specialize in retail automation using AI, which enables self-driving stores. Now, shoppers' behaviors and expectations have changed dramatically and continue to evolve since COVID. There's still major supply chain issues. Retail earnings are dropping. I find myself moving more and more to online shopping. Why is this happening and how are companies adapting to this new environment? What are some of the solutions in the marketplace and is there really a future in retail? To answer these questions and more, let's welcome Francois to the show. Hello, Francois. Hello. How are you? Very well. And yourself? Very well. Thanks for having me on. Well, good to have you. I'm really looking forward to hearing your insights. A lot's happening in this space. So before we start, maybe we could just get a, a brief introduction about yourself and your current role, please, Francois. Sure. Francois Chobard. My background is mostly math and engineering. So I started out math and mechanical undergrad, worked at Lockheed Martin on their ballistic missile defense program, and did that for about four years in their leadership development program. Then went to Stanford for electrical engineering. And then uh, I was at kind of at the right place, right time. I started there in 2012, right when the AlexNet paper hit and got published. And I was kind of in the AI lab at that point. And so got a front row seat to watch the latest, the AI revolution that we're all, you know, watching unfold right now. Cool. And, yeah. And then after that, I went to Apple, worked on some special projects over there, you know, leveraging computer vision for some of the autonomous kind of stuff. And then went back to Stanford, what was going to be for a PhD, but left maybe six to eight months after that with the idea for Focal. And the idea for Focal Systems was largely that this is the age of automation back then in 2014 and 2015. And the only thing that anyone can think about to automate was cars and doctors, which I, you know, from my standpoint, that was the, the highest you know, cost of a false positive. It's like someone dies. And I was working on that when I was you know, at Apple a little bit. And so I was thinking about what else is going to be automated. There's many other things. And I started doing some research into many different industries in which sector would be the most impacted by automation. And I, I realized it was retail. It has is the most impacted. If you take like a 1% decrease in s it results in like a 7% increase in EBITDA. And so wow. no other sector has that property. So this is the, the retail would be the most impacted, the most transformed by automation. And it's going to completely rewire the, the way that retailers run their businesses. And it represents 2 trillion on 17 trillion in GDP in the United States. So it's like a really, really big deal. And like 13% of, of people work in, in retail in America. And so, so that was kind of the, the idea. And we didn't really even know what it was going to be. Okay. And so we kind of said, okay, well, let's approach it like an engineering problem. Like, let's look at what, where people are spending a bunch of time and, and where can we apply AI to automate it. And so now, seven years later, we're, you know, just installed our 100,000 shelf cam or about 110 people globally. And yeah, and it's been going really well. 
Wow, very cool. And listen, firstly, a huge congrats, congratulations on that success. Fantastic. Sounds amazing. And sounds like an incredible journey. Working from great companies and route. Thank you. Before just getting back to the retail space, I mean, you discovered that retail was a sector for you. How do you feel retail is doing in 2022? You know, I think it's it's been a, a pretty tumultuous last three years. I've kind of, okay. it's been very interesting watching the focus of these retail executives jump from fire to fire. And I think they've handled it quite well. I think that there's still some embers in the, the cauldron there from COVID that they're still grappling with. Oversupply, okay. the bullwhip effect, inflation, all that stuff. And I think 2022, so far the last eight months has been one, every single retailer is saying the words to their teams, let's get back to basics, right? <laughs> like they're saying, okay, COVID was crazy. Let's get back to basics. And they have luckily a bunch of extra cash from all the increased spend in the grocery stores the last two, three years. It was one of the best times to be a grocer from a sales standpoint. And now they want to go, they need to go spend it. They have a choice either to pocket it and repurchase okay. stock or dividend, give it out to the, the shareholders, or they can invest into the future and really double down on their automation strategies and have an AI strategy. And I would say probably 10%, 20% of retailers are doing that. And that will enable them to fulfill the, the promise of online omni, you know, get to do what Amazon's doing basically, which is apply AI to every single square inch of their business. Wow. And I mean, so you say 10 to 20% of the companies are roughly adapting to this new environment. Yeah, I would say that's true. I think 10 to 20% are really taking those all that free cash flow and investing it back into the business, whether that means into AI or otherwise. Another 30% are probably owned by PE and they're not going to do that because they're only going to own it for five years and they're going to probably sell sell it. And especially if, if sales are way up and EBITDA is way up, you know, grocers and trade at 5.5x EBITDA. So then it is the best time. It's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. So they're trying to sell. And you are seeing that right now with, you know, a bunch of retailers getting bought. And then the remainder largely are, you know, either not focused on the right stuff. They're paying out dividends. There's sometimes where there's, you know, reasons why they're not investing back into the business. And they're kind of either sitting on that cash or giving it as dividends, but they're just not investing into the future. And I, and we've already seen that movie with Blockbuster and Radio Shack and Toys R Us, and we know how that movie is going to end. And so that's the, you know, uh, <laughs> the reality of what's about to happen. But that, that's, you know, that investment in automation, is it also a combination of online offering or is it purely investing in store offering? 100%. I think anyone who's betting against online is like betting against the internet. Good luck with right. that. And there are people okay. who definitely betted against the internet and, you know, look, again, Blockbuster, who said publicly, mm -hmm. you know, videos will never go online. <laughs> I mean, it's comical now, but this is like executives at Blockbuster said that. There's videos of this. It's hysterical. And there are people that see C-suite executives at public retailers that said on internet, online grocery shopping is a fad. They were on the mic saying that. They don't work there anymore. Thank God. But, you know, it's for real and it's here and it's not going away. Now, the question is, can you do it profitably and can you win in that space? And unfortunately, the answer to the first is no. Almost no one can do it except profitably except Amazon and maybe a few others because they are spending enormous amounts on in-store picking and things like that. And so it's a loss leader. 
the minus 2% net margins, I think, no matter which way you cut it, whether you're using a robot center or otherwise, the second is, can they win in that space? And at current, I would bet that the answer is probably no, because you're up against digital natives. And some people are trying to go compete head on with Instacart, DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Amazon. And, and that's a losing proposition. You should be partnering. And so some people are partnering and, and that's, a, that's a good thing. And the right mm-hmm. answer here is not the dark store, is not the Omni Fulfillment Center, is not Oh, sorry, is, is not the, the dedicated robot, you know, uh, fulfillment centers, things like that. Those are such money pits and they, they're, they're going to be ruining the day that they did those. The answer is, you know, you already have these assets, these grocery stores all over the place or, you know, boxes all over the place and they already have shelves on product. And so how do you maximize the return on those investments? If they were imagined in the world, they're all dark, then mm-hmm. in the increase, you get more Kens coming in if you open up the doors and made it light. So right. it's like margin, you know, accretive, like you add more sales by opening the door. So that the answer is obviously that you should have click and pick online uh, delivery all emanating from the physical box, which is the way Instacart does it, which is now the way Amazon does it for a lot of groceries picked inside of Whole Foods. If you go into a Whole Foods, you'll see that. And so that's the dominant model. But now how do you change the SOP inside the store to and take the technology to make those operations more efficient. So that's really where we come in. And you know, right now, if you ordered on Instacart, the way it's going to work, you're going to order 100 products. The order will pop up to an an Instacart worker. They're going to go to the grocery store. 80% of those products, they're going to be able to find. 20%, they're going to sit there and text you for half the time. Hey, is it okay if I sub these out? That's the way that it works now. And then it'll come to you and then they'll drive it to you in an hour. That's insane. It's 20% (laughs) substitutions. Like, can you imagine the analog equivalent of that? Imagine Ken goes into the Crazy. local Tesco, buys 100 products, is Ken's pushing the cart to the car, yeah. and then the cashier comes out and then just starts yanking 20 of the products out and substituting them. Like, can you imagine? You already paid for it yeah. in both cases. And then now they're just swapping you out and saying, sorry, we don't have that or returning it. And you're like, what do you mean? And like, I already paid for this. But mm-hmm. that's really the experience. And with Focal, we have cameras that, monitoring the entire back room, the entire sales floor every hour of every day. So we know that those 20 products cannot be sold. So don't disappoint your customer. And the opposite, and so that saves you labor, saves customer frustration, which is, you know, the number one reason for churn is substitutions on e-com. So that's why they're losing so much market share to Amazon, which has 0% subs. And then the bigger thing is they're losing sales. One on churn, because you're not going back. But the second is because they're saying that it is out of stock, but it actually is on the shelf. So those are, there's all these, and it's not showing up on the Instacart thing. So there's all these different complexities that happen because they just don't know, not even Tesco, not anyone knows what's actually on the shelf at any one time. If you get the CEO of Tesco and, and say, bet me a hundred bucks that Coke two liter is available for sale in store one, two, three right now in the soda aisle, bet me a hundred bucks. Look at any system you want, right? This is the biggest retailer in all, all of Europe. Bet me a hundred bucks. We'll never do it because he, he doesn't know. Yeah, because you know, it's a combination of in the stockroom, on the shelves, and the customers after taking the stock. Is, it, is that why that you don't know what's on the shelf? Yeah, I mean, it, you've got the system tracking coming in. You've got another system tracking as near as your cashier. As well, it it's, it's more than that, right? Like they have no system that actually monitors the shelf. They're relying completely on debits and credits. So right. if you, you have an empty grocery store and you order 100 cans of Coke and the 100 cans of Coke come in, and you sell 50. 
So the question is, how many do you have left in the store? Yeah. What would be what would be your answer? We have fifteen. But there's no chance. One because you didn't get a hundred, you got eighty, or maybe you got one hundred twenty, and then you didn't sell fifty, or you, you may have sold fifty, but then ten got shrunk out, ten got broken in the back, and you know five got stolen, whatever. And then that's the ingress and the egress problem. Let's say you solve that completely, and that you know exactly that there's a hundred coming in, fifty going out, and now you know that there's a fifty in the box. Where are they? Right. Are they in the back room into a customer's cart on the soda aisle on the checkout stand? In the you know uh, secondary locations in the the click and pick area in returns like where is it and so this mm-hmm. is the like if you get any grocery worker to say hey IMS says you have fifty on hand you know what's the probability that's actually in the store they would laugh at you They're like there's no way we just like <laughs> it and just order more <laughs> like and and, that, and that's how inventory builds up in the back room which is happening to Walmart Target Tesco everyone you go in the back room they're chock full of product. Why is there out of stocks then if they're so full of product? It's because they don't know what's in the store. They have no idea. And so, the ca- so the camera is automatically alerts somebody if the, if the shelf goes empty. Is it how, and Absolutely. how does that work? Yeah, not even just that it goes empty. We know that it, when it goes back in as well. And so I know exactly what's on the shelf. I know that two liter, Coke two liters on the shelf right now in these six locations in the store. I know where they are down to the hour. There's no fooling the system. You can't, you know, it's not gameable. Either it's there or it's not, right? Just like a soccer would do, which when the most of the labor, maybe 20%, 30% of the, the stalker's time is spent searching for ghost inventory. The system says, I have 50. Where is it? So then they, they have to brute force search the entire store to try to find these 50 cans of Coke, these mystery 50 cans of Coke. And then they just end up quitting after a while and they cycle count it. And then that's it. But we did the cameras. They're basically doing what the cameras are doing every hour, which is walking the whole store, scanning for where the heck these 50 cans of Coke are. The, cam- the cameras are covering the whole store. So we know, hey, it's actually in the back room on this pallet on the top left right now. And it makes your stalkers three times, four times faster. Because I, I don't have to do that. I know exactly where they are. All right. But I mean, I get your point, definitely. How about costs? I mean, because everything's getting more expensive now. Labor, running the in-store experience. Then you want to invest on an online technology. You want to invest in technology in the shop. And the margins are getting smaller. I mean, how are retailers managing this? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing is, is that the cameras are free. I mean, we, the cost is so low for these cameras, largely because of the smartphone market. Like the smartphone market brought the cost of a two megapixel camera from $50 down to a dollar. Like you can go on Alibaba right now and find a two megapixel camera for a dollar. So if you have to outfit your whole store with 400 cameras, it's not that much. So it's pretty cost. Right. We don't even charge for the cameras anymore because it's just, we got the cost so, so, so low. And AI is just software, right? So it's extremely affordable. There are other people trying to do this with robots. Those are expensive. Like that's, you have to have really real time systems, sense and avoid so you don't run over a baby, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so you, you really gotta, you can't, Insurance. Go, you can't go cheap with a two megapixel camera. They, they have like yeah, 40 yeah. cameras, which are like the Nikon DSLR kind of things. Okay. Uh, so I think that's kind of foolish and, and yeah, other reasons why the robot's a bad idea. But so, <laughs> That's one. The question on labor, absolutely. I mean, the situation on labor right now in the UK in particular, this is worse in the UK and America, and it's really bad in America, is they're spending, if let's say Walmart has a budget of $110 billion to spend on labor a year, ignoring overtime, they're only spending like 70, 75 billion of that. 
The rest of it, they'd love to spend, but they can't because they can't find people to do the job anymore. And they have not, people didn't come back after COVID and they're not coming back. And so then they have to, the people that they do have, they have to ask them to work overtime. So instead of working, you know, 30, 40 hours, you're working right. eight hours. So they are actually spending back to budget, but it's all overtime spend and you're not getting, you're getting way less hours. So only in terms of hours, they're only doing like 30, uh, sorry, 70%, 30% of vacancy rates right now in UK, UK, it's really bad. And, uh, I don't know enough about why it's even worse in the UK, but I've heard that from many people. Okay. And so, uh, if they can afford, you know, what we're, they're basically doing now is they're, they're scanning the store every hour of every day, or they're scanning the store once a day for four hours. And that costs them, you know, each for a month might be like two to $3,000, but we're less than half that. So if you can afford, and you're getting, and we're getting, giving you 24 scans a day with hundred percent accuracy and, you know, every, and we never call out sick. We never ask for a raise. And so would you rather spend, you know, the, the two, 3000 for one scan a day and it's asking for a raise, you know, it doesn't always scan the full store calls out sick, whatever, or the cameras, which are less than half that and do it 24 times a day, you know, and then all these other benefits. So. Very interesting. And actually, so this argument about automation and technology actually reducing labor and taking jobs away. It's not true. So in terms of retail, would you agree with that? Because of what you just said? A hundred percent. I mean, when we first got into this business, you know, and I was kind of with the mission of the company was to automate and optimize brick and mortar retail. And the knee-jerk reaction many people had was, well, these are good people that, you know, have these jobs, yes. like care about them. And it's like, I do care about them. In fact, this is exactly why I'm doing it. Like number one, if Amazon is automating and Walmart isn't, Walmart goes out of business. So then none of them have jobs. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that, you know, this Marxist belief that, you know, eventually if there's X amount, a lump of labor to be done and robots are doing all of it now, what are the humans going to do? There's nothing left for the humans to do. And so we're going to have all this free time. The only thing we're going to have to do is just art and party and, you know, and that's all we're going to do. That was like what Marx wrote. And it's completely ridiculous because if you look at 1880, 80% of the workforce was agrarian. So you had 80% of people working in farms. Now, less than two. And unemployment is less than, is went down wow. because we invented stuff. We have more reasons to, you know, we, we don't saying, well, the quality of life in 1880 is the quality of life we want for the rest of our lives. No, we, we didn't need computer engineers in 1880. We do now. We didn't need airplane pilots in 1880. We do now. And so we're always creating new jobs. And this actually increases the amount of work that the amount of people that you want, would want in the store, because it's going to enable you to work a lot faster and produce a lot more sales. So if you're happy with your current sales level, fine, then don't add headcount. But we're going to free up all this additional labor to redeploy into better customer service, more online. They'd love to have more hands on online and actually fill your labor budget that you couldn't fill before. And also the other thing too is retention. Like, you know, if I had to go into a, a grocery store today and I'm working with a system that was installed in 1982, that's like a green screen of death. And I get home and I'm on my iPhone, like beautiful iPhone with Instagram, yeah. like all these pretty UIs. And I did that because I worked at Lockheed Martin in the Navy and it was terrible. It's like, what is this? Like, I don't, this yeah. is like a terrible quality of life. Yeah. And so like, of course I quit. So if they don't have modern tech, man, the retention is going to go through the floor. Yeah, no, I agree. It makes, it makes a lot of sense, uh, Francois. 
Well, tell me about can you give us can you share some examples of some companies that are adapting well to the new yeah. environment? I think Walmart generally is, you know, very aggressive on automation and uh, applying AI and winning the the online space. I okay. think that I've seen, you know, there's some grocers that are in particular situations where they have to change, they have to adopt. So one example is Fairway in Manhattan. They just got bought by Village Supermarkets run by the Sumas family. And so there's 30 stores. They're very, very high volume stores. And they're in the most competitive market on the planet. It's New York City. And so they have 15, 20, the Gorilla guys, the, you know, Buke or whatever they were called, all these like delivery companies coming in trying to get the New York spend. And they saw Fairway, you know, sales were, were hurting uh, because of COVID and some of this stuff. And so they have leaned in very heavily. And you talk about labor availability. I mean, in New York, it's it's really tough. Labor costs are are way higher than anywhere else in the country, you know, maybe the world. And so they really had to adopt a very tough place to be a retailer. And so they've been leaning in very heavily. We've been working with them a lot and, and it's a great relationship. Other, you know, retailers that like I can think about in in the UK, for example, I don't know if I would call out anyone in particular not to but I will say that there's kind of like the two flavors, two schools of thought out there. One, some retailers try to build it themselves and like they don't want to partner with anyone, which is absolutely a losing proposition. And so mm-hmm. I would say Tesco's in that camp. They wanted to build it themselves. They basically you know, told us straight up, yeah, we're not interested in partnering. Just sell us the cameras. Like, we don't sell cameras. We're not a camera vendor. We're an AI company. And they <laughs> had no interest in that. I'm like, okay, good luck. You know, there's rumors. I've heard of folks that have built their own routers. There was a time where some retailers tried to build their own barcode scanners. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Like, can you imagine? Like, I actually heard this other story that a major retailer tried to build their own relational database in 1980. And it's like, why? Why would you do that? Like, it's not your area of expertise. Even if it was, think like there's a billion dollars in R&D that Oracle is doing every year to make the database great. Like, you're not getting any of that benefit. You're not going to outspend Oracle. And same thing here, like Focal, we're, we're going to keep raising money, keep building the, the product. And also we have patents on it that you'd be violating of, even if you're successful. So it, that kind of stuff. So I would say that there's folks like that. And then there's folks that really want to partner and they want to do it aggressively. And they're scaling us chain-wide across the whole US. We're entering into the UK now and it's being you know met with great reception. And we're really excited about that. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like there's definitely a future in retail from what you tell me, Francois. And I think I know the answer to my final question, but just get your, how do you see this evolving over the next few years? For uh, focal systems or like the, the retail? Well, both focal systems and for retail. I mean, my prediction in 2015 was that there's going to be multiple, maybe five public companies. And the only thing they do is apply AI to the retail vertical. And since AI largely is so customized to every single use case that it really needs to be. And maybe there's going to be a vendor that's only focused on inventory, another vendor that's only focused on planograms and execution, another vendor that's only focused on supply chain. I don't know. But there's going to be four or five public companies in the next 10 years. And the only thing they do is serve the retail vertical. And Focal intends to be one of them for sure, if not all of them. (laughs) That's our vision. Our hope is to be, and that's what we call the self-driving store. And the vision for this is basically imagine a store that can run itself. You have, you're going to have to have people in there. I don't believe in this 
dystopia where there's grocery stores with no one in there. I think you're going to have people in there providing, doing what people do best, provide great customer service, making it enjoyable and fun to be there. But the customer doesn't care if there was 10 or 50 people on night crew. The, the, the customer doesn't care if who's managing the inventory or who's setting the planogram. And so the self-driving store is a store that can set its own planogram and customize it and react in real time to changes in demand or supply, uh, changes in ordering, whether or not the product is delayed, coming in late, whether or not there's higher demand, lower demand, adjusting the ordering to reduce shrink, pricing, adapting the pricing. If, if I, you know, I'm about to shrink out on all the bananas, okay, fine. I'm going to reduce the price to make sure I don't have to throw away these bananas, get someone to buy them before I have to throw them away. Promotion, loss prevention, production, staffing, setting the schedules for, for the staff. You know, uh, we've seen some ridiculous uh, situations where, you know, almost all the staff is coming in between 6 a.m. and 2. But all the out of stocks happen between 4 and 8. It's like, okay, well, oh. you're not any out of stocks. What are they doing? Like, you know, <laughs> maybe you should readjust that. And like that happens all the time. And the reason why that happens, because that's when the store manager is there. And so they staff it when they're there. And it's like, that's not the right time. So Perfect. all these things, and it's similar to like high frequency trading almost where like these AI algorithms are doing our trading instead of brokers now and coming up with much better solutions, which bring down the cost of living for you and I and reduce food waste for shrink, which is a huge issue in, Amer- in, in America for sure. Leads to global warming, leads to, you know, huge landfills full, full to the brim just because of over ordering. All these issues go away and those stores become way more profitable. Wow. Fascinating, Francois. I'm really looking forward to following you and Focal Systems in the future. If anybody would like to get in touch with you or reach out to you, what is the best way? Sure. Um, on our website, we got contact us. And, uh, you know, that goes right to my inbox. Cool. Fantastic, Francois. And thank you so much for your time. Today. All right. Thank you so much, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm.